from the NLRPD to KTHV to behind the microphone. It's Scott Romine with Guatney Unplugged. Hi, welcome back to Guatney Unplugged. Scott Romine here for uh, Guatney Unplugged, and just excited to have this guest in studio, Dr. Abui Madi. He has done everything, and uh, he was Muhammad Ali's business manager for 13 years. He's personally met with the last six presidents, been recognized by the U.S. government as a foreign affairs expert, but he also knew Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. Clint Black. Clint Black. The Oak Ridge Boys. I mean, you're like uh, the walking Grand Ole Opry. You've done it all. <laughs> How uh, cool is that? What were some of those guys like? Uh, Waylon Jennings uh, was just as down to earth, but Willie Nelson was, uh, Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson was all these, the best of all of, all of them for Ali. But uh, Ali would tell me to uh, look at, find out Willie, Willie Nelson's schedule for the year and see and see where we're going to be close to him so that uh, we can, so that he can hook up with Willie. Was that his favorite music, Willie Nelson? Well, he just like he just liked Willie because they can sit back in the in the trailer in his in his in his in his van. Yeah, and they would sit back and they would just talk. And uh, you practically were one of the highway men. I'm not. I wasn't. I wasn't about that. <laughs> you <laughs> no, knew all these guys. No, I knew them, but uh, but Chris Christopherson and Willie Nelson was just very close to Ali. They would visit Ali maybe five, ten times, about five or six times a year. Then Ali would look forward to seeing them, and uh, also BB uh, King. He would want to know what BB oh. King is going to be his schedule, so that he could, if he's close to BB King, he can they can hook up. And he was a good friend of Elvis Presley. Very good friend of Elvis Presley. Uh, Elvis, gave, Elvis gave him a robe, and it was uh, had all kinds of diamonds and rubies and sapphires. Like a karate robe or something? Because no, Elvis was, was in the karate. No, he was just, oh, like his boxing his, robe. Ali wore a boxing robe a couple of times in the ring. He, it was long, white, and it had a line of different gemstones, about five or six different gemstones on it. And it must have cost him a fortune to have it made. I remember Ali said that he wanted to get it, get a the road to me once. I said, Ali, I can't take nothing like this. He said, No, take it. <laughs> For Elvis Presley. Yeah, he he just tested me, and then the people called up and said that they wanted to put the uh, robe in a museum, and Ali said, uh, You have to talk to Marty about that. And uh, I told I told Ali, I said, You know, I sold it to him for three million dollars. <laughs> Ali said, No, you didn't. <laughs> you said, knew no. you knew you better than that. <laughs> I said no. I gave it, I, I gave it to a body. So you're from Little Rock, Arkansas, but the East End area. Know yeah. it well, and you end up meeting with all these presidents. What was Reagan like? We went. To, I went to my first inaugural ball. It was Ronald Reagan's, and Ali and I. We had we was in the limousine. The limousine was all over the city. Every car was a limousine, just about. So we we were trading. Reagan's uh, about five cars behind him, and we he's going to different ball, making his doing his making the rounds. Yeah, so I didn't know why we Ali and I didn't know why we was trailing it, but Ali's manager and his attorney was there. They knew why, so we we went to the hotel, the Hilton Hotel, and they took us backstage, and Reagan was speaking to the crowd. And as as he was leaving, his his advisor was whispering in his ear, letting him know that he was going to meet Muhammad Ali and, and the delegation. And Reagan, I saw him perp up, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he perped up. Oh, that's awesome. So he saw Ali. He said, and Ali, him and start faking like jabbing each other. <laughs> then uh, Reagan said, I'm, I'm honored, uh, Ali, that you and the delegation are taking on this this mission on behalf of the U.S. government. Ali, Ali was kind of shocked because he didn't know. But Ali said, anything for the anything for the government. Then they start boxing, and Reagan said, you need to teach me this football dope, Ali. He said, I'm going to Congress next uh, in a couple of weeks. He said, I need to. <laughs> I need to know how to, to handle it. <laughs> he said, I need to know how to handle it. And Ali started telling the jab at his side and everything. But Reagan was like a little kid in the, in the, in the oh, candy store. I, I mean, he, he just was. he was just pleased. And they told him that we have to. they had to go. And Reagan said, you got to catch up with me again. And teach me this rope a dope, and that's and he he left, and the next morning we went to the State Department. They had asked us to go to. They was asking us to go to to Lebanon, really going to Iran to talk with Khomeini about the release of the hostages in Beirut. This was about 1986, yeah, I believe, 80, right? 85. 85. And uh, what, 138 Americans or something were on board? No, this, this is the seven Americans being here. Oh, it's a different deal. Okay. Uh, but uh, you negotiated to the ones that were on the TWA airplane. It, the, but then the next year, in 86, we went to talk to Israel about they had 139, 149 passengers that they were going to execute. And uh, if, they didn't, if Israel didn't release the 700 uh, detainees that they had in prison, so we went to Israel to negotiate that. And uh, I had told the Israeli government at the time that that we're looking at the we're looking at the effects of of an injustice. Because they were talking about killing innocent hostages. Sure. I said, But you caused this. They said, You telling us we the cause? I said, You you got seven hundred people that you done you done locked up because you can't identify the terrorists from the non terrorists. You can't identify the poison snake from the non poison. So like a child, like when a parent tell a child, don't go out there in the field because all snakes are poison because they can't distinguish the non from poison sure. from the non poison. I said, you don't have the ability to distinguish the non the poison from so you just lock them all up. I said, that's due process. That's not justice. So they'll retaliate based on that. I said, now you need to correct that. And we can identify the hostages. I said, I mean the terrorists because we understand the terrorist mind. That's what. If you don't understand the terrorist mind, I said, you just can, can't continue to lock people up just because of their, 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 their race. I said, that's just not fair. And I said, uh, Hitler rounded up all the Jews. I said, the same hatred that Hitler had in him, you're displaying the same hatred. The and same. you use this angle, and uh, you get 138 Americans come home. And they didn't want to. They didn't want to be associated with Hitler because I told them they were walking shoulder to shoulder with Hitler. And Hitler was an earthworm. I said, "Now you're very low." I said, "Your hatred is going to destroy you." I said, "You got to remove that hatred because the hatred is hating you." And now you want to commit genocide? I said, "That's the same thing Hitler wanted to do." He said, "You comparing us with Hitler?" Ali says they went in an uproar. Ali said, "Told him to calm down." He said, "But Marty's right." He said. The hate is hating you. That was a great, great angle to take. You know, <laughs> that's how we were able to free that worked. And you've got the book here, Muhammad Ali: The Untold Story. Is that the kind of thing that's in the book, or is this more like what he was like personally? I got the personal thing that that's the the inner, the inner workings of Muhammad Ali. It's not the the physical icon. Uh, you know, it's just like you're looking at a a container. And you're looking at it physically, and you don't go inside. The value is inside. Sure, of course. So 
I'm trying to take this book is taking you a journey inside of Ali so that you can see how he was thinking, what motivated him and his principles that he lived by. And he said that he was going to die by him. And if you are committed to a set of principles, well, you're going to you're going to you're willing to die for those principles. That gives you the courage that makes you fearless. And you just move forward with the faith of God. That's how Ali operated all of his life. Was he as large, he was larger than life, but in private, was he what you saw making the big speeches and things that he did? No, no. Ali never bragged about what he did. Uh, he was, <laughs> I remember we had a guy in Oklahoma, uh, Charlie Brazarian, and Charlie was a uh, uh, part of the saving loan of tobacco. He had about eight, nine hundred million dollars. That's we, a lot. <laughs> he walked through the house. He said, Marty, look at this. Look at this base here. How much you think that base costs? <laughs> and Ali case there to bragger. I said, Charlie, I don't know. He said, that's $300,000. He said, look at this chandelier, Marty. How much you think that chandelier costs? I said, Charlie, I read it all. It's irritating. <laughs> right, right. He's, <laughs> not, he's not like that. <laughs> he's not like him at all. He said, oh, that, that chandelier is $4 million, Marty. He said, Marty, what do you think that how much you think that swimming pool cost me in, in, in my in my in my in, in my in my house like yeah. that? He said, What do you think? I said, Charlie, I don't I said, I don't have that. Ali is steaming. Yeah, right. That ain't his deal. <laughs> no. And he said that he told Charlie, he says, Look here. He said, I don't like you, I don't like you bragging like that. He said, That's just, you shouldn't boast like that. And uh Charlie <laughs> And Charlie Preserve said, well, I'm sorry, Ali. I didn't know that that was irritating, but Ali never did like nobody to boast. Did he have a lot of that kind of cool stuff? Did he have a Ferrari or that kind of thing? Obviously, he could afford it if he wanted it. Ali uh, had a Rolls Royce. Uh, I think he paid, it was brown and gold. I think he paid $200,000 for it. Lunch money So we was We was driving to to San Diego in a Rolls Royce. He says, Marty. How many times did we spend? How many? How many? How long do you think I spent time driving this Rolls Royce last year? I said, "Well, I can the two in relationship to me, Ali. Maybe drove to San Diego and back, rode around town. I said we met Richard. We pulled up at the light with Richard Pryor. He had the same color Rolls Royce. Oh, I, oh yeah, Richard Pryor. And, and they finna act like they finna like they gonna race these Rolls Royce. Ali, you cannot race down the highway. <laughs> I said, I'm gonna get out the car. I said, me, I said, I'm getting out of the car. I'm not gonna be a part of this. I seen as Richard Pryor was ready to race, and he did, he didn't race. But I told Ali, I said, "Well, you've been in the car for about maybe ten hours." He said, sure. "I got a two hundred thousand dollar car, Marty. I got a Rolls Royce. I got a Mercedes Benz. I got a stuffed Bearcat. Uh, my wife got a Mercedes." He said, "Who do I need a?" He said, "Why do I need a car? Two hundred thousand dollar car, and I only spent eight nine hours in it last year." He said, "I don't need that car." That's when he was leaning toward. Backing out of just having all, all that back, stuff. Backing all that. He said, I don't, he said, I got one, he got 19 rooms in my house. He said, Marty, I haven't been upstairs in four or five years. He said, so part of the house I haven't seen since I came here to look at the house. He said, I just go to the bedroom, to the bathroom, to the den, and to the kitchen. He said, I don't need no 19 rooms. He said, I'm going to seal this house, and I'm going to go back to Barron Springs. And, uh, Unreal. Retire his farm that he had bought from. That's quite a problem to have. Wait to 19 rooms you don't need in your house. Uh, the book is called Muhammad Ali, The Untold Story. This is uh, Dr. Bui Mahdi. He is going to be November 2nd at Hometown Country in Maumel. 
signing these books, and it's a phenomenal uh, hardback book. I'm sure it's available online. It's available at uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. The last time you saw him, can you kind of just briefly kind of tell us what that was like, or what he he had like a prediction that has come true? Correct. Yes, I I can. Let me just share this with the, sure. with the audience. Uh, this is in 1993 at the J.W. Marriott Hotel in Washington, D.C. Since Ali and I got into the elevator, it was empty. The door was closed. We are both in silence. It is an awkward, unusual silence between the two of us. Ali slightly turns his head towards me with a look of warning. They all hate you, he says. I know, I replied. And the way it looks, they're not going to stop. This is unconditional hate for no apparent reason. There is a reason for the hate, Ali says. You are the right hand for the greatest champion in human history since the beginning of time. I said, they have free access to you 24-7. Ali responded, they hate because of your open access to me. If they were in your position, they would block every avenue leading to me. All of their complaints against you and you steal my right hand. The hate coming upon you, that's your burden, Mahdi. But as you know, God never puts a burden on a man beyond what he can bear. I listen intently. He continues, they all are very selfish people. All of them are going to die before we do. I interjected, Ali, only God knows the day and hour of a man's death. I know, Ali replies. After another moment of silence, he continues, I am sick, Mahdi. I'm dying from Parkinson. Listen closely to me. What I'm saying is coming from the, my heart and my soul. More silence. You and I will be the last two standing who know the truth, the whole truth. I would die before you. After I die, you would write a book, setting the record straight. I said, no way. I'm not a writer. I replied, <laughs> Mahdi, I don't know anyone who can add, subtract, multiply, and divide a concept or an argument to verify the truth better than you. Beep, the elevator stops. Door, door opens. Write the same way you talk, Mahdi. And that vision came true. It sure did. You're here. You've written the book, just like he said. And this is my first book. Uh, and people have said that based on the reading, we got a, I got a review. And one gentleman was a pastor. Uh, David Winter said that it's a magnum opus. I said, I don't know about it being a magnum opus, uh, Pastor. He said, he said, this is a magnum opus. It would bring the Muslims and the Christians together. He said, uh, it would have an effect on millions of people. So. I wait and see. I think you need to release an audio book where you read the book. You know, I mean, that's pretty, just listening to you read the page there, I could see that. A lot of people are into the audio book thing. I, I think you could I, do that. I take that on consideration. Uh, yeah, think Scott. about that. No you know, problem. what I get from what you just read, having never met him, it seems like Muhammad Ali was very much a teacher. Uh, he definitely was a teacher. Uh and he taught by example, too. Uh, Ali had told me, he says, uh, Marty, he said, honesty is the key. He said, as long as we're honest with each other, we'll be together. And he, he said, honor, because he said, without honor, I understand a man cannot establish a correctional institution within himself to arrest the wrong, to transform it. He said, you can't depend on uh Department of Correction outside of yourself. He said, you have to have that inside. He said, you have to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. He said, because when self accuses self, 
and won't be able to accuse others for what self has done, then and only then can self correct the wrong within him and make the necessary changes. He used to also sign a, on his autograph, he used, to, he used to say that man cannot change until he first admit that he's wrong. But you have to have a correctional institution within you. And that's what he, that's what he established within himself. And he, we both exercised that in our daily lives where, and Ali would get me, he says, he'd be pointing out, making a point, and I was wrong about it. He says, okay, you was wrong about it. He said, now is the time for you to practice your religion. He said, that's okay, Ali, because forgiveness sure. is, the, is the key. That's okay, Ali. Let me be the first in line to apologize. I was wrong. I said, uh, and I would make the necessary adjustments to change. Forgive me. And Ali said, oh, now he's practicing his religion. Now, and I would get, <laughs> I would turn around and tell Ali what he's wrong. I said, now, Ali, you wrong. Yeah. I said, now. And you heated up. You, you're upset now. I said, now it's the time now, Ali. But you, I said, those, those extra push-ups. You put it back on him. I said, those extra push-ups. I said, the first 90, you're doing 100 push-ups. I said, the first 90 is just getting warm up. Now, this is the last tier right now. Now, if you can change right now while you're angry with me, <laughs> then then you're practicing your religion. And Ali says, yeah, you got me, Marty. He said, <laughs> I admit that I'm wrong. And that's, I seek forgiveness from God. And that was our relationship. So when people come to Ali and say, oh, Dr. Marty, uh, uh, Ali, Dr. Marty said, uh, he said this and this and that about you. He was talking behind your back. He said, oh, no, 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 no. He started laughing. He said, oh, you got Marty wrong. Because if Marty wanted to say something to me, Marty would come in my face. Uh, he knew. And Marty would tell me right up front that if I don't make no necessary changes, he's quitting. He said, he, he, he said, I'm not going to be working with a man that don't like correction. And he said, so I know Marty didn't say that. And, and true enough, and People would say some things that Ali said. I said, no, Ali didn't say that because I know Ali. You knew better. I knew better. You don't really know a person until you live with him and work with him. And I lived with Ali for 210 days out of a year. That's 26,000 26, hours I spent with him. Sure. And 10,000 hours of flying, driving a truck, or whatever you are, if you got 10,000 hours, then you're an expert in the field. I have 65,000 hours with Ali. So I know I'm an expert. I know I'm inside and out. And uh, He was so blessed to find you to manage him because I can imagine the kind of fame he had, there was a line of people willing to take advantage of him if they had a chance. Yeah, Ali would tell me. I would See, I, I told Ali, I said, look here, why don't you have somebody else to sit next to you at the fights? I said, because... You got, he has an entourage in every city. I said, sure. every, I, I got a thousand people want, want your job. I said, when they see me sitting next to you, they're going to say, that's their seat. I said, Ali, so let somebody else sit. I said, sure. I, don't need, I don't need to be dealing with all the phone calls. He says, no, I want you to sit next to me. <laughs> so he, he'll bring me out. Then he'll get on the phone after the fight. He said, oh, yeah, you think Marty, you think Marty's cheating on me, stealing from me? He said, he might be. I said, Ali. I said, why would you be telling the people that? He said, we're going to be in, I'll be in Miami next week, and we'll, we'll straighten it out. Now, he would do this to attack him. I mean, he's just agitating. I said, why are you at, Why are you feeling the flames like this? He said, I said, why would you? He said, you worried about your job now. Marty's worried about losing his job. Marty's worried <laughs> about losing his job. I said, Ali, 
I'm not worried about losing my job. I said, because Muhammad Ali didn't hire me. I said, I'm managing you, whether you realize it or not, I'm managing you based on a set of principles. Because I know you don't, you're not going to take advantage of nobody. So when I see somebody taking, see you putting yourself in a position where you're taking advantage, I tell you, and you're going to back up. Yeah. So you're going to make, because you believe in justice and fairness, because you want to be Superman. <laughs> That's right. Well, I've only got a minute left. You signed autographs all day at Graceland. I got to ask you about that. We went to Graceland, and it was, and Ali and, and Elvis was good friends. They would go to Disneyland, and when it was closed at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, they would go out. Before Michael Jackson was doing that, Muhammad yeah, Ali was oh, doing Muhammad that. Muhammad Ali was doing that. So uh, we was in Memphis. We was at Graceland, and Ali stayed there all day. Signed an autograph. He signed an autograph on behalf, and he would sign an autograph, Muhammad Ali, and sometimes he would say on behalf of Elvis. Oh, wow. And he, he sang, Don't Be Cruel. Yeah, he sang. Uh, we had a karaoke, <laughs> little, we was in Oklahoma, he had a little karaoke machine, and Ali sang, Don't Be Cruel, sounded just like Elvis. He's a pretty good singer. Yeah, that's fantastic. Dr. Bowie Madi. He was uh, the manager for Muhammad Ali for 13 years. So appreciate you coming on Guatney Unplugged, and we'll be right back.